This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yep. you know, I really feel like I know what's going to happen in the year 2020. I just, I see it so clearly. That this is going to be some kind of 2020 pun. That's it. That was it. I did the, it was, that was it. Oh, that's the, that's the joke. That's the joke. John, yeah. speaking of being untethered in time, do you know what the best time of the day is? Yeah, I mean, I do. It's like the two or three seconds after I wake up, but before the dread descends. Does that happen at 630? Because I think that the best time of day is 630, hands down. 630. Hands, hands down. down. Oh, the yeah. hands of the clock. Yeah, they're down. That's when the hands are down. John. Yeah. You know, originally people put pumpkins on their on their doorsteps to scare people away, to scare away potential mm-hmm. burglars. Did you know this? No. They were security gourds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's okay. And John, this week, Catherine asked me if I could clear the table, and I, I, I looked at her and I said, I bet I could if I got a running start. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason that's a funny joke is because you, could, you definitely couldn't. I've seen you jump, John. I was just at the store trying to get a Thanksgiving turkey, mm-hmm. and there just weren't there just weren't very many of them, and they were all quite small. And I said, "Did they did they get any bigger to the to one of the employees at the grocery store?" And they said to me, looked straight in the eyes, and said, "They said, man, no, they're dead." <laughs> John, yeah, you know your sock has a hole in it. I, I didn't know that my sock had a hole in it. Well, how else would you get your foot in there? Oh, John, yeah. Why was 2019 so afraid of 2020? Why? Because they had a fight, and 2021. <laughs> That's it's not a good joke. John, a man just threw some milk at me. Oh, did he? How dare he? 
Oh God, no, John. Yeah, you know we had a pretty we had a pretty good childhood. Remember when Dad used to take us to that hill and put us in tires and roll us down, roll us down the hill? Only vaguely. Yeah, those were good years. <laughs> those were good years. I really did he those do that? Were... I don't actually remember that. No. Okay. No, John. Yeah. Spring is here, and as I look out my window, I can see that uh, the sign of that spring on my lilac tree. What a relief! Oh, boy. John, yeah. my birthday is coming up, and I've decided what I want you to get me. Oh, great. Um, I want you to get me a very small abacus, because I've heard okay. that it's the little things that count. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Thanks. John, it's Catherine's birthday today, as this podcast yeah. is coming out. Right. And she asked for, for a Pixar movie about uh, a young boy and an old man who become friends, on, and they take a, a huge adventure all over the world. Um, with balloons and talking dogs yeah. and et cetera. And I just, I just couldn't get it for her. Why not? Why am I getting rickrolled? Because I'm never going to give her up. Never going to give her up. I'm never going to give her up. She can't have up. That's my joke. That was good. That was good. I worked I, on it for I, a while. Yeah. And I appreciate, I always appreciate a rickroll. I especially appreciate a rickroll that I truly do not see coming. <laughs> Dear Hank and John, what's up with kazoos? Thanks, Sarah. It's a great question. Do you know that the kazoo is the oldest musical instrument Whoa. like in terms of documentation in the history of the world? Really? Yeah. I would have definitely thought it was like a flute. No, the kazoo came first. Wow. Why do we call it a kazoo? We call it a kazoo because in ancient Mesopotamia, that was the name for it. Oh. Isn't that wild? I definitely assumed. That is the Sanskrit word for a kazoo. I definitely assumed that kazoo was like a, a brand name from the 1950s. Kazoos. Because it are, sounds like a brand name from the 1950s. Kazoos are so old that one of the earliest examples of written language refers to a kazoo. Whoa. How long can I keep doing this before Hank realizes oh, that I am man. full of crap? Oh man. Oh <laughs> man. It seemed it seemed possible to me. <laughs> Dear Hank and John, I recently came into possession of 50 pounds of onions and 25 pounds of potatoes. I live in a small studio apartment, so while I appreciate the like root vegetables, they've taken up a considerable amount of space in my living area. Beyond French onion soup or ding-dong ditching them at my neighbor's doorstep, <laughs> I'm at a loss for what to do with all these vegetables. <laughs> Any dubious advice would be greatly appreciated with layers of deep-rooted issues, Sophie. That's great. We've got layers, which are onions, and deep-rooted, which are potatoes. Yeah. that's. I think that's how we got there. So, Hank, I think you'll agree with me that the 50 pounds of onions is the issue here, because 25 pounds yeah. of potatoes is like a five-day supply of potatoes. I can get through 25 pounds of potatoes, for sure. Like, you can have, like, potatoes are an every meal thing, though onions can be, too. And onions and potatoes together are very good. Yeah. But, like, a two-to-one ratio of onion to potato maybe is too much onion per potato. You can get 50 pounds of onions for $11.29. Why don't I do that? How onion weight per onion? How onion weight per onion? <laughs> That's what Google does to us. About 4.34 ounces. Okay, actually, you know what? That's a lot of onions. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
thirty. It's it's two hundred. It's two hundred. No, onions. an onion does not weigh four ounces. A tiny raw onion, onion average weight four point three four ounces, nah. according to onions-usa.org. Hank, I mean, we are talking. We're not. We're talking about onions-usa.org. We're not talking about some kind of off-brand website that's just SML. This isn't like uh, map my calories or whatever. They literally their website is called All About Onions, and the first thing is nature's ninja it is the onion a phenom of mother nature that deserves higher praise for its stealth its endurance and its adaptability and sustainability with its nutrients that help you ward off diseases when you eat it's also a major action hero slaying bacteria and bugs in the fight just to get on the table it provides amazing flavor to any meal and it's useful in other ways such as dyeing fabrics curing bee stings cleaning grills or feeding sheep I did not make that up, Hank. That is from onions-usa.org, yeah. America's leading onions information site. The National Onion Association. I, I rescind my criticism. I'm sure that onions weigh what they say. We have to trust expertise in our society, and that means when somebody comes along and says, we are the National Onion Association, the chief advocate of, of this nature's ninja which we have branded and animated <laughs> on the website with a sword, which he must be very careful with because everyone knows that the eventual fate of all onions is the sword. <laughs> I think that the National Onion Association might have developed this ad campaign like during the fruit ninja craze Maybe. to make the argument that like onions are nature's ninja. Uh-huh. But it's working in 2020 for me, I have it to is. say. I'm hungry for some onions right now. Here are some reasons why the onion is nature's ninja. You just told me a bunch already. There's more? Can I just reread? This is the actual National Onion Association website on its product, onions. Mm-hmm. A phenom of mother nature that deserves higher praise for its stealth, its endurance, its adaptability, and sustainability. It's stealth. It's stealth. You know what? I I have never applied a certain adjective to an onion, and it's that it it can hide from me well. (laughs) I'm I'm never like, where are they? Yeah. I can't find. (laughs) Yeah. Sophie's like, I wish they were a little stealthier. Can't get. I I keep stubbing my toe on them. Wait, notable, quotable onions. Mm, Okay. I'm back on. I'm back on Onions USA now. This is now, this is, this is officially now an onions only podcast. I mean, this is a really good website. Ulysses S. Grant said, I will not move my army without onions. Wow. So take that. (laughs) Sophie, you are in a better situation than Ulysses S. Grant was when he won the American Civil War. (laughs) So consider yourself lucky. Yes, he did it all by himself, Sophie. He did it. Just him and onions. They gave him 50 pounds of onions and he marched south and won the war. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) History with Hank. If he can do it, you can do it. Sophie, if you're looking for some recipes, there's a really good section of the National Onion Association website. That's all about, it's not just about like recipes for food. You got to remember that they're the business of selling onions. So it's recipes that use way more onions than you think are necessary. (laughs) their Their recipe for pesto involves one onion. (laughs) That's more than is necessary. That's hilarious. (laughs) They're delicious recipes. You will, uh, when you eat the National Onion Association's recipes, you will find yourself thinking, I can really, really taste the onion. (laughs) 
Okay, John. Dear John and Hank, but mostly John, it's my favorite kind of question, Hank. <laughs> Several times on this podcast, John, you have referred to things as being a level one emergency. This is this is Aren't not it? just a podcast thing. <laughs> and it's not just a joke either. It's not. John will call things a level one emergency when it's a really big deal. And it is, it, it's not pleasant. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make anything better to realize the the height of the level of the emergency. But regardless, continue. I find it helpful <laughs> and we can talk we can unpack it today. Okay. Are there other emergency levels? Of course there are, Taylor. Of course there are. <laughs> and if so, what is the scale and what constitutes a level one emergency versus another emergency? Classifying catastrophes, Taylor. So Taylor, I want you to imagine, as I do when I am encountering an emergency, mm -hmm. that you are in a large building with many floors, say nine floors, mm -hmm. and you are looking down at an emergency. <laughs> If you're on the ninth floor and you're looking down at the emergency, you can barely even see the emergency and it will probably resolve without you even interacting with the emergency, right? That's a level nine emergency. So an example of a level nine emergency would be you have uh, a cold or flu virus that will likely resolve on its own. Okay. You get to like a level eight, level seven emergency. That's a situation where you might have to like open a window and like shout some advice, mm -hmm. you know, down to the emergency. Do something. You have to, might have to do something, but, but nothing extreme. When you get to a level one emergency, Taylor, you're on the same floor as the emergency. The emergency okay. is, is coming for you. This is right? helpful like, to know. The emergency is spilling into your building. And I think it is important. Hank disagrees with me. I think it is important when you are having a level one emergency to immediately acknowledge it because it changes yes. your behavior. Well, it also- You're not in a level eight emergency situation where you can just call down some advice. You are in a level one emergency. Okay. So, so this is extremely helpful. I'm so glad, Taylor, that you asked this question because I have always imagined that a level one emergency is the biggest emergency that can happen. It is. No, it's not. It's an emergency that you need to interface with right now. There are many levels of emergencies that one needs to interface with right now. There's like, I oh, am God. currently being consumed by a shark. Are you telling me that there's a level one half emergency and I've just never encountered it? <laughs> no, you've got, <sighs> you, what you are saying is this is, a, this is a thing that we need to deal with right now. And I, I think there's a great thing to have a word for that, especially when you're trying to communicate to someone that you love that this is how you feel about this situation. Level, and you yeah. need that them to get on board with you at that in that moment. Right. That's exactly what a level one emergency is. So I think that's great. That's smart. We got to deal with this right now. Yes. And there are many things that we have to deal with right now. And there's like, there's like, I'm being eaten by a shark. And there's, we left the kids' uh, loveys, their little stuffed toys at the hotel, which yeah. is the first time I heard you use the phrase level one emergency. To be fair, that was a level one emergency. <laughs> it was. Well, now that I know what a level one emergency is, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, the only time that I've ever been bit by a shark, the first thing I said was, this is a level one emergency. <laughs> so I needed the shark to understand that. I needed me to understand it. And I needed all the people around me to understand it immediately. <laughs> when did you get bit by a shark? I, I, I did. I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I made that up. <laughs> You think, Hank, that I, I could, I, first off, I mean, how would I ever get bit by a shark? I don't know. I don't know. I have, a fr I have a friend who got bit by a shark and it was like at Miami Beach. She was just in the water at Miami Beach, but like it was a little shark. So she has the coolest scar of all time. Oh, I bet that's a really cool scar. Secondly, if I ever got bit by a shark, 
do how many seconds do you think it would take me to tell the world I got bit by a shark? <laughs> like, <laughs> would it take four years of podcasting before I heard the story of John getting bit by a shark? Yeah, that's a good point, John. <laughs> so you'd oh. be on the news. No, you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. You would be making a video about it, though. I mean, the truth is that I would like probably spend like two to three months like crafting my narrative <laughs> around being bitten by the shark and making sure that I, yeah, making sure that I was like retroactively applying a lot of like thoughts and feelings to the experience of being bitten by a shark that in the moment I definitely didn't have. You were way too self aware. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but I would definitely, definitely have told you that I got bit by a shark. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I want to ask this question about Irish settlers just because I think it's so weird. Okay. From Robin, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when I was a kid in the 70s, Irish settlers were everywhere. I think that's but now a name. I, I think that you may be looking for I think that I you saw. may be looking for Irish setters. <laughs> John, just so you know, my neighbor yep. is mowing his lawn. So okay. that's happening, and it's the situation that we live in. Uh, Lou asks, Dear Hank and John, it is well known that the country of Italy is shaped like a boot. So recently I was wondering what shoe size it would be if it was a real boot. Unfortunately, I couldn't find the answer on the internet. That is shocking to me. Yeah. I wear size six shoes, Lou. That I cannot believe that we don't know what size boot Italy is. That is unacceptable. <laughs> so we know the approximate size of the boot. Do we? Um, yeah. Well, okay. So Hank, we know, I think, the approximate size of the shoe in question. Okay. Because if you look at the if you look at a map of Italy, there's a heel to the boot. Mm-hmm. And that heel is, I think, the giveaway. Because we don't know how far up the boot goes, right? It could be knee length. It could go all the way up to your thighs. Sure, sure. Yeah. The, I mean, the, yeah. Shoe size isn't about where it goes. It's about... Right. It's about, it's about the foot part. Yeah. And my argument is that that's about a four-inch heel. I don't think it's like an eight-inch heel. Because there's not like a huge platform to the foot part of the foot. So I would argue that's a four-inch heel. In which case, by my rough calculations, that is an American size eight and a half shoe. No, John, I think you're deeply misunderstanding both how heels work and how shoe sizes work. I'm not you... a, I'm not misunderstanding how either. <laughs> I'm about to I am ready to die on this hill. What wait, uh, what we you, have to know you... is how big the boot is. What do you mean we have to know how big the boot is? We have to know how far it is from the toe to the heel. That's yes. the size of the shoe. Yes, but we can't. Or, yeah, I, 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 I realize that, Hank. <laughs> it's, to, it's from it's the size of the shoe isn't from where the toe to the to the the heel, meaning the the spiked heel. It's to where the humans heel. Like if there was a giant who put on Italy, yes, how big would that giant's feet be? It would not be size eight and a half. He'd fall right over. No. So what you need is the distance no, you've, from Bari no. oh, to Reggio no, no, Calabria. No, no, you've completely misunderstood. First off, Italy, Hank, and I, I know this is going to come as a, as a surprise to you, is not actually a boot. Okay? This is the question, John. Yes. Read me the question again, because I am 100% correct. I'm, I'm about to get in a fight. Well, we, <laughs> there's a lot of tension in the room. I was wondering what shoe size... Italy would be if it were a real boot. Yes. 
is what Lou asks. Right. I w- so if there was a boot mm-hmm. with that that from where the the that was the size of Italy, mm-hmm. what size would it be? Okay, so I think we have a different understanding of the phrase real boot. Yeah, no, a real boot the size of Italy with a 440 kilometer heel to toe distance. Okay, that is your understanding of the phrase real boot. My my understanding of the phrase real boot is a boot that exists, i.e. a real, if you will, boot. Um, in any case, I figured it out and the and the the boot the size of Italy would be size around 17 million. Okay. Roughly. Okay. Between 10 and 20 million would be the size. But if, that, size. if that's a four-inch heel, Italy's about an eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Dear John and Hank, we found a snake in our apartment. Ooh. This is one of my top 10 personal... <laughs> One time we had a mouse in our apartment in New York City, and for about nine months, every night, I dreamt of the mouse. After I saw it one time, I would dream of... It's just, there's nothing more I love in this world than seeing a wild mammal outdoors. It just makes me so happy, even if it's something silly, like a little chipmunk or a squirrel. I'm just like, oh, mammals. (laughs) Living your life. You don't need any of this stuff. Yeah, you don't need us. In fact, we are a problem. (laughs) But when I see a mammal inside, that's not a mammal I have consciously welcomed into my home, such as one of my children or a pet or something. There's it, it, It just drives me crazy. Now, I know that a snake is not a mammal. It's worse than a mammal. <laughs> I, I it's feel so like scary. It's, it's easier to catch a snake, weirdly. Ooh, and like I don't like, know. I feel like I feel like a like a mouse is so close. Like every part of a mouse is very close to the bitey part. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of a snake is no. pretty far away from the bitey part. No, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> and also that <laughs> don't take Hank's snake wrangling advice. My God. <laughs> Look, what you got to do, I've seen it on TV. No. You grab them by the tail and you have a stick and you just push their head away. It works every time on TV when I see trained professionals do it. That's right. We got the crocodile hunter here. Okay. Uh, Well, actually, as we continued on through the question, John, there is a picture of this person holding the snake in their hand. It's true. And I have to say that as snakes go, this is not the most intimidating snake I've ever seen. It appears to be- It looks hungry. It looks about shoelace- Yeah. Shaped uh-huh. to me, yeah. I would say that it's sort of a shoelace style snake, whereas the snakes I fear are more like belt snakes. Anyway, we sent pics to my roommate's mom's snake guy. <laughs> First off, Taylor, <laughs> I have so many questions about every aspect of your question. Uh, but, but yeah, why does your roommate's mom have a snake guy? Anyway, we sent pictures to my roommate's mom's snake guy, and he says that this snake is not native to here, Taylor. Again, you could have just said where. <laughs> And also, she's a baby, like younger than they usually are sold. So the snake guy thinks someone in our apartment is secretly breeding snakes. Oh, my God. Okay, Taylor's roommate's mom's snake guy coming in clutch (laughs) with the vital information. What if this is a recently hatched baby that is not endemic to the area or native to the area where it has been found? This has gone from like a three alarm crisis to a four alarm crisis just in the last two sentences, (laughs) but it gets worse. Okay. Oh, my God. Really? What if he's right and more snakes get out? Like I have accepted that I have to take care of this one snake. I am 
her snake parent. But I'm worried that if there are many more of these and they're just babies, what's going to happen to them? Many thanks, Taylor. P.S. This is Humphrey. We named her when we thought that she was a boy uh, and we will absolutely not be changing it, which I (laughs) congratulate you on every part of this response, Taylor. You have taken a snake that you do not need to care for and you have chosen to care for it, which is heroic work. And you have named the snake Humphrey, which is the single greatest snake name in the history of our species. It's very good. Uh, and also, you've acquired a great deal of information about the snake. And I do know that snakes don't tend to be born one at a time. Oh, God. <laughs> they usually usually a bunch of them. <laughs> and uh, and by born, I mean hatch out of eggs, usually. Sometimes some snakes are live born, John, which is very weird. But I, do, but I don't know what kind of snake this is, so I can't say for sure because I am not Taylor's roommate's mom's snake guy, unfortunately. <laughs> Though maybe that, maybe it's something to aspire to. <laughs> I mean, Taylor. Everybody's got, everybody is like four degrees away from the snake guy. Like we all, no, we can accept this. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you are. I don't have a single roommate who has a mom who has a snake guy. I no, can tell you, you have, that right now. You have a brother who has a snake guy, though the guy is not a guy. It's Jesse from Animal Wonders. Oh, my God. So you're three degrees. Oh, my God. I have a brother who has a snake person. You're right, Hank. Yeah, I probably have several snake people, honestly. So, Taylor, I don't want to make accusations mm-hmm. that are unfounded, mm-hmm. but I would look at the roommate whose mom has a snake guy <laughs> As a potential source of this snake. Snakes have, they are slithery and they have, you know, their own goals so they can go places. One time when I lived in Chicago, I came home to my apartment one afternoon and there was an iguana in the apartment. Well, here we go. And I I was pretty sure what had happened, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went downstairs with the iguana and I said, um, hey, are you missing an iguana? And they were like, no. <laughs> and I was like, are are you sure? And they were like, yeah, no, our is here. And I was like, do you want to double check? And then they came back like 30 seconds later and they were like, oh, yeah, that is our iguana. And I was like, here you go. That's fantastic. Yeah. It was, we have it, no idea. We don't even know. That's the best case circumstance with a lost pet is that somebody shows up at your house and is like, did you lose your pet? And you're like, no, but that is my yeah, dog. Right. <laughs> yeah, you saved all of the worry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it does seem like the sort of situation where you do a canvas and you're like, hey, did you lose a snake? Or did you knowingly let a snake get pregnant? Is that what happens? <laughs> I don't know what happens. Yeah, I think I don't. I actually I'm not sure. There's a number uh, of wait, ways. wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah. I want to, I want to revise. If this is a game of Clue, I would like to revise my accusation. Is it just the snake guy? You think it's the snake guy? I think it's the roommate's mom. Mm. I think the roommate's mom found herself with one too many snakes, and she was like, "I can't believe I let seventy-five snakes hatch on my watch. I have to get and- rid of all these snakes." And so you're just like giving people pies with snakes inside. Oh God! Oh. <laughs> Undo, undo, undo. Unanswer the question, move on, cancel, control Z. Probably, no, it's just like when she like did your laundry, she slipped a snake in. Please, no, 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 please. How else would it happen? First off, if your mom is doing your laundry when you have have an apartment and you live somewhere else. Agreed. And she slips a snake in there, like that's the cost of doing business. I mean, that's... (laughs) 
perfectly acceptable behavior. Uh-huh. You deserve a Humphrey. If it's in a baked pie. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, because like, well, there's a bunch of problems with that idea. A, do- a ton. So I don't think a pie oh. would be the correct delivery mechanism. <laughs> I want to go back to before I knew that. There's no new, you know I nothing. Wanna, I want to live in a world without that that image so badly. Like I'm just, it's slithering out of like a beautiful key lime pie. And I'm, oh. I think it's kind of cute. It's got a little hat of meringue on it in my head. Oh, goodness gracious. A little meringue hat. Oh boy. I think you should ask around because this might be someone else's snake. Uh, And if it's not, it's your snake now. John, this next question comes from TQ, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why are piggy banks universally piggy banks? Why are pigs the chosen animal? If you were to choose an animal to replace the pig, uh, which animal would that be? TQ. Uh, Well, first, it's not universal. I've definitely had and seen piggy banks that are various shapes, but it is definitely even those are called piggy banks. Yeah. Why are they called piggy banks? They're called. We don't know. Oh, there's, uh, th- thanks, there's, thanks for that great trivia. Well, look, here's the situation. I think it's important to to talk about the times when we don't know, but also that there are that there are thoughts and that there is lots of people trying to figure it out. And maybe we will someday know the answer. But one guess is that there's a type of clay called pig clay, which is P-Y-G-G, and it's used to make earthenware. So like, you know plates and yeah. dishes and stuff and it, it was also made used to make pots and they would people would just like be like okay i'm gonna put my coins into this pot and this would be my pig bank possibly is where that came from but it seems like the like the existence of using a, a of a, a using a thing to store your money in goes back before pig clay existed but maybe the transition was like and then you would just call like that that sort of happened and then you know, pig clay happened. They called it a pig bank. And then they started to like make it into the shape of a pig because they called it a pig bank. That's one thought, but there are others, including the fact that in China, the pig is a symbol of affluence and that that may have transported along trade routes to with with like these things that are designed to be sold so that you can store your money in them until you need the money and then you destroy them, which we have ruined, by the way. Yeah. Now we have this little plug. Yeah. Because the original idea of the piggy bank was that you had to destroy the bank to get Mm -hmm. the money out, which made it an effective savings tool because you would think like, well, I want 10 cents, but not enough to destroy the piggy bank. Right. Now the piggy bank has been destroyed on many different levels. There's a little plug (laughs) at the bottom that allows the money to just fall out, which Mm -hmm. makes the piggy bank sort of useless as a savings tool. Uh, And then there's the fact that uh, coins aren't worth anything. And in many cases, (laughs) coins are worth negative money because it takes like two cents to make one penny and it takes like 8.2 cents to make one nickel. And so... The existence, uh, the continued existence of piggy banks is like an anachronism. Yeah, you have to put dollars in there. Right. You know, it's not just coins. You know, an interesting fact about Hank is that when he was a kid, he did not keep his money in piggy banks because he knew that that was not safe. And so what he did instead was he uh, he had all these like trophies, not from finishing first place. He had all these like <laughs> fourth place. Like uh, everybody, everybody got a trophy at the soccer thing. Yeah, he got it. Yeah, he had a lot of trophies that every other player on the soccer team also got. Yeah, Th- those are the kinds of trophies he had. But he had a number of them and he would unscrew the trophies and unscrew all the parts of them. And then there would be these little hollow spheres mm-hmm. and he would roll up bills very methodically and then stuff them inside of these hollow spheres. 
And then he had his he had money like hidden inside of his Walkman. I remember he had yeah. like a cassette tape Walkman, and he had like a twenty dollar bill like carefully folded like right in the base of the Walkman. I was super. And into all money. of this, this all of these strategies were designed to prevent me from stealing Hank's money. In part, in part, it was just like my obsession and like over and like kind of like troubling obsession with the the being surrounded by money. Not like the things you might buy with it, but just the money. Like Scrooge McDuck. And when did that end? Yeah, we're working on it. Right. Hank would go to all these elaborate lengths to hide his precious, precious money. I mean, he treated every nickel like Frodo treats the ring. I mean, he... It's not it, I, I've never seen anything like it. He just coveted coveted all forms of money and he never spent any of it i he didn't was, want other people's money i wanted my money i didn't covet money. i know but you wanted you wanted as much of it as possible i wanted and you wanted yeah and you wanted to never spend any of it ever no matter what yeah i've i got over that and w- when i got into magic the gathering yeah because then i was like mm, these cards will be worth money someday and they would have been if i hadn't <laughs> traded them and sold them for like <laughs> Basically the same amount I bought them for. I could have I could have been a contender. I could have had a been selling sh- like original reserved Shivan dragons and Sinjir vampires. The reason I'm telling this story Hank keeps trying to derail is that Hank would like go out on a play date or for a bike ride or something and I would unscrew those trophies and I would like carefully pull out the 20s and maybe maybe replace them with a five. And then I would go buy stuff because that's the purpose of money. Money exists to facilitate the exchange of goods and services. And <laughs> and I bought stuff. Did I feel guilty? Yes, I felt guilty. I mean, part of me felt like his money was our money, a feeling that I still have. Right. Like, you know, like part, part, part of me felt like our family's money is our family's money. And like the fact that this amount has been assigned to Hank is unfair anyway. Yeah. Uh, because he has so much more than I do. Does he have more than I do because I spent a bunch? Yes. But like still, he has so much more. So I did this for years. I felt terrible about it, but I kept doing it because it was very convenient. And also like a lot of times I had to buy things that were uh, illicit, you know, that like I didn't want my parents to know about. <laughs> so I couldn't like go to my parents and be like, hey, can I borrow $8 for four packs of cigarettes? And so I did this for many years. Um, and and I always felt really bad about it until... Yeah, well, this is the thing. The summer... I forgive where Hank you sold for stealing my money. All Do you forgive me? Of for <laughs> my for selling baseball cards. Your Carl Ustremski rookie card? You sold my Carl Ustremski rookie card. You sold... You didn't you you sold all my baseball cards, Hank. So so to give you a full accounting of which baseball cards you sold, I would have to list all of the baseball cards I had, which was many, many thousands. Yeah, but the Carl Ustremski was the most valuable one. I don't think I sold thousands because I don't think people wanted all of them. <laughs> but you had these things that were basically money, but you couldn't spend them. That's true. You, in the end, <laughs> what you did to me was very similar to what I did to you. And the, the value proposition is probably about equal. There is one big difference. Mm. Like, like a good, God-fearing American, when I stole money from you, Hank, I spent it immediately. Whereas <laughs> when you sold those baseball cards on eBay the summer that I wasn't living in Orlando without my permission, 
You still have that money, but you I haven't spent so a dollar much. of it. I, I learned you still about have commerce. it. It's probably it's probably invested in some solar stock right now. I learned about commerce and business and how to how to run a small business, and it was really valuable. Thank you, John, for helping me learn. It's true. The first company that Hank was the CEO of was uh, <laughs> called Selling John's Baseball Cards Limited. Yeah, which reminds me that this this podcast is brought to you by John's Baseball Cards Limited. John's Baseball Cards. Probably somebody still got that Carl Ustremski somewhere. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Level 1 Emergency. The Level 1 Emergency, it's closer than you think. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant, <laughs> fueled by onions. And today's podcast is, of course, brought to you by Taylor's Roommate's Mom's Snake Guy. Taylor's Roommate's Mom's Snake Guy. <laughs> Your source for snake information since earlier in 2020. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year 
for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. So Hank is having some kind of problem with his phone and his Bluetooth headphones aren't working. So we may, we may lose Hank and this may be a John only podcast. <laughs> My dream's finally coming true. Yeah. I have a wired, I have wired headphones, yeah. but I got a new phone and I have a dongle that's, you know, headphone jack to USB-C. Right. And I plug it, when I plug it in, it just hangs up on John immediately. Yeah. So I, I was like, well, I'll use my Bluetooth headphones, but they're running out of batteries now. I can, they just beeped in my ears just now. And like, like this is a, it's a, it's a headphone to USB-C dongle. Why doesn't it work with my new phone? Well, the whole emergence of the dongle oh, God. in the 21st century is one of, to me, one of the great surprises. Oh. If you'd shown me a laptop computer from 1999. Mm-hmm. And you'd said to me, like, everything about this computer is going to be better in 20 years. It's going to be faster. Yeah. It's going to be sleeker. It's going to be lighter. It's going to have more memory. The battery is going to last longer. Just one thing. <laughs> You've got to carry dongles with you everywhere you go all the time. And and then, like, 1990s self is like, did you just say uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What is, is what, that a what, word? Like, did, did you? Who? So, I mean, I know all words are made up, but right. that one's definitely made up, right? right? Right, So they could have come up with any word since this was a new <laughs> idea, right? And the word they chose out of all the words that were available is dongle. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but the most to be clear that's the best thing about dongles oh the dumb name is the best part uh, by far because i mean it's like what is the difference between this usbc and that usbc obviously <laughs> something almost every tuesday i have to get a new freaking dongle almost every tuesday when i have to find a <sighs> dongle to get the footage that I have filmed into my computer to edit a Vlogbrothers video. Yeah. At some point, I have to call my spouse and I have to say, I am, as I am every Tuesday, a 42-year-old man looking for a dongle. Do you have any idea where the dongle might be? I'm just a man who's lost his dongle. Dear John and Hank, how much sand can I take from the beach before it becomes immortal? Nope. Thanks, Kevin. That's not what it says. How much sand can I owe? Oh. <laughs> that makes what way more sense. What did you think sense. was becoming immortal? The sand? I don't know. I was, well, I was imagining that if you took enough sand away from the beach, that the, the sand that you've removed from the beach would become a kind of sand monster right. that needs to return to the beach and then spends the rest of all time like trying to reunite with its former self. And so I had to figure out how much sand it takes to make that immortal sand monster. But it turns out the question is a little bit different. <laughs> the question is, how much sand can I take from the beach before it becomes immoral? <laughs> <laughs> so, Hank, I have to tell you this on like a personal level, and I hope that it's a good story for our listeners. But uh, last night, a, a pretty weird thing happened to me. Okay. 
Is it exciting? In a, in a manner of speaking, I had a stressful weekend. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of work on, uh, on this new uh, Partners in Health project. Also, Pizzamas is coming up. Uh, the Let It Snow Netflix movie is is coming out soon. There's just a b- bunch of things happening. So I, I was working late on, on Sunday night, and I got to the point, which rarely happens to me, where I was answering emails, and I started to, like, make mistakes. You know, like, I I started to just have, like, errors in the email, like, like pasting the wrong link or whatever. And I was like, okay, this yeah. is it. This is ridiculous. I need to go to bed. I'm going to get eight hours of sleep. It's going to be magical. I lay down. I was going to get eight hours of sleep. I went to sleep. I was in the deepest sleep of my life. And at 1.15 in the morning, there was a huge explosion from the master bathroom. I don't know how else to describe it. It was like the largest Lego sculpture ever created all fell apart all at once. Was was there actually a Lego sculpture in there? Well, that was my first thought. My first thought was, why is Henry playing with a very large Lego sculpture at (laughs) 1.15 in the morning? I jump out of bed. I scream... Uh, like bloody murder, I open the door and I don't know how else to describe this except to say that the glass of our shower uh-huh. had exploded into like wow. 150,000 pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they do it now for safety. It had exploded all at once. It, it, it was such an unbelievable scene that my first thought was, well, I guess somebody shot up our bathroom. That's weird. <laughs> It's a weird place to yeah. aim. And so then all night long, my dreams were all about like, why did why did people shoot our bathroom? So mean. Did you, did you do anything? Did you just see it and then go back to sleep? You're like, I don't have time for this right now. Yeah. I so will use a different bathroom. The main thing I did was I held Sarah by the shoulders and I said, Sarah, we're both really tired and this is a very strange experience. So I just want to confirm two things. One, that it happened, and two, that there's not some, like, larger thing that we're missing, right? Like, <laughs> like we just need to make sure, is there water pouring out of things? Right. Like, you know? Yeah. But, like, like there's is there a reason this happened that now requires further attention? Or <laughs> exactly. can we just go to sleep with a bunch of glass all over the place? Yeah, and the answer was number two. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad. I'm, I'm super happy. We went to sleep with a bunch of glass all over the place. And in the morning, when I woke up, I rolled over and Sarah was reading about this on the internet. And she said, this is surprisingly common. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if you're out there and one night your glass shower explodes, just know that it's totally normal. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here's what happened. We decided that shower curtains were too grody and wrinkly and just not pretty enough. So we installed these big, beautiful plates of safety glass that occasionally explode. We're always like cavemen, grug and ugg. And I'm like, no, they would have had beautiful names or not. I mean, there's a lot of like beautiful languages out there, Hank. But like maybe it all sounded like Dutch and it just sounded like they were all clear in their throats. (laughs) Wow. Gosh. Oh, that's God. that's that's honestly all the Dutch people listening are just nodding in 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 acknowledgement. <laughs> they know. It's not a bad thing. It's a great language. It's extremely expressive. It's just like a lot of All right. Keep going, John. I you know more about the Dutch than I do. You lived there for a while. I I I'm sorry if I hurt any Dutch people's feelings by saying that the language involves a lot of but it does. <laughs> 
It's not. I mean, I mean, look, American English, to be clear, is hideous. I, I'm aware. Like, I I hear when British people do American accents, I'm always like, oh, oh, mm, that's what we sound like. We, we do make a lot of ah, <laughs> It's also flat oh, and nasally. We get we get our ideas across. I'd like a hamburger. I would. I believe in capitalism. <laughs> I believe that banks should never be regulated. <laughs> okay. I don't have enough cars. <laughs> Do you have any mayonnaise for this sandwich? <laughs> all right. All right. That's a little too close to home. <laughs> it's johngreenbooks.com. And there you will find that I have a blog. How do I find it? You go to johngreenbooks.com and then you go to the little oh, area yeah, at the blog. top right there where you is. find more things and then it says blog. And I I myself am shocked to learn <laughs> that my most recent blog post was on August 27th. Yeah, I am also surprised to see this. Specifically because I did, I did not write this blog post. It is a blog post acknowledging that I have written a book called The Anthropocene Reviewed that comes out in May. And... It has a comment. Wait, it has, it has four, several comments. Four comments. Why are these people commenting? Barbara says, Sad to see your podcast end, but thanks yeah. for sharing yourself with us. Well, Barbara, you still have an opportunity to buy the book. I, I'm I'm excited. Well, okay. So is that my only blog post ever? That's my only <laughs> the blog. Only That's one my only that blog I can post. See. <laughs> yeah. I have written one blog post at johngreenbooks.com and full disclosure, I did I did not write it. Full disclosure, it is a press release. <laughs> yeah, it's a great press release, I'll say. I know who wrote it and they're wonderful, but yeah, I it, it wasn't me. I do have a quote in it that I wrote. Uh-huh. What was that? Can I read it as but, as you? Sure, please. Yeah, do okay. my do my accent. Before I was a novelist. Oh god. Before I was no. a YouTuber. No. I was a book reviewer. No. <laughs> John, this next question comes from Sarah, who asks, Dear Hank and John, when I was diagnosed with asthma eight years ago, my allergist asked how much I sneeze. And I replied, not often, just a normal amount. And she said, and I quote, it is not normal to sneeze. I never sneeze. Now I think about her every time I sneeze. Now I, now I think about her. Uh, now I think about her every time I sneeze, Sarah. This is this is the craziest thing I have it ever heard a medical Hello. doctor say. I am a, I am a doctor of medicine. What? I spent what? 18 years studying for this. It is not normal to sneeze. <laughs> I never it's sneeze. <laughs> I mean, the the phrase it's not normal to sneeze is in and of itself a little uncomfortable for me, but following it up with almost like 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 a qualitative statement, like yeah. I have reached a level of enlightenment whereby I no longer need to sneeze. I was it, I, Everything about that quote, it's not normal to sneeze, I, I never, never sneeze, sneeze, is an astonishment. Like, what do you think that doctor thinks when sneezing, right? Like, because we all know they sneeze. <laughs> they sneeze! So, so in that moment, do you think they think like... Do you, so I, I can only think there's two possibilities. One is that they think like, oh God, I feel a moral failure coming on. And then the other possibility is that maybe when they sneeze, they think like, that wasn't a sneeze. That wasn't a real sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen other people sneeze, and I'm not doing that. That wasn't. No, that wasn't like an asthma sneeze. That was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I, I never sneeze. Look, what we've a, been what a we've sentence. been running 
We've been running an advice podcast for I don't know how many years now. And I think if there was a person who never sneezed, we would have gotten that question. They would have heard the podcast and been like, I need to add. I'm a little weirded out by this. I see other people doing it. I know it's a normal thing, but I never sneeze. They would have asked. That's what we're here for. That exact circumstance. I will say. So 95% of purportedly normal persons, I don't know how this is defined by Uh the Journal of Rhinology, Uh but 95% of purportedly normal persons sneeze less than four times a day on average. But you'll notice that sneezing less than four times a day is not an example of never sneezing. It's hundreds or thousands of sneezes a year. I never sneeze Like, if I heard someone say to me, I never sneeze, I would be like, are you are you an alien who is inhabiting a human suit and who just like just revealed themselves to me? Or alternately, like, do you have some kind of like force shield that surrounds you that when you sneeze makes you immediately think like, nope, not that didn't happen. My allergist. My allergist said My to allergist me, it's not normal it's to not sneeze. Normal to I sneeze. never sneeze. I never sneeze. This person is a criminal. <laughs> I never sneeze. I never sneeze. <laughs> like, like this, they need to be investigated. <laughs> you know, that, they have that podcast, Dr. Death, where it's like, man, this was a really bad doctor. This doctor like uh, lied to <laughs> thousands of people and, and told them that they had cancer when they really didn't. This doctor was a monster. Here's a 12 episode podcast right. series about this monstrous doctor. I want a 12 episode oh, podcast on, about on, the on. allergist who tells people <laughs> I never sneeze. <laughs> about Dr. McNever sneeze, the, <laughs> the greatest criminal doctor of our times. It's not normal to sne- Oh my god. Like well, uh, I am so glad that I've been primed now that this is a possibility so that if this ever happens to me I can instead of just being dumbfounded and like questioning my own sanity I can stand up and walk out of the room. <laughs> I believe I'm going to have to consult with another allergist specifically a human one. <laughs> well, as they call them in the business a sneezer. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the actual like definition. I don't I don't want to exclude anyone from humanness, you know? Yeah. But yeah. it's really hard to define what a human is and I think it might just be a person who sneezes. <laughs> Maybe there I'm are people need to talk who to a never... sneezer about this. <laughs> Yeah, because you like ultimately, don't you want a doctor who can on some level empathize with you rather than being like, unfortunately, I literally can't know what that's like because I don't sneeze, never have, don't know what it's like, can't feel it, it's not normal. All I know, all I know about sneezing is that it is not normal. You do not want to be a sneezer. You need to go back to your allergist and you need to say, all right, doctor, never sneezer, Scrooge. (laughs) And then, and then be like, I, I didn't plan it past that. That's all I had. The great thing about this is And then you walk out, you look, 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 I thought of Never Sneezer Scrooge and I'm done. (laughs) The relationship is over. This doctor is extremely successful in, in one way, right? Which is that every single person 
who's ever heard the sentences, <laughs> sneezing is not normal. I've never sneezed. Every single person who's heard that, when every time I sneeze for the rest of my life, I'm going to think of that doctor. And also my own personal failing that I have not correctly addressed my medical issue of being a sneezer. My humors are all out of whack, and as a result, I've become a sneezer again. I also, oh, no. is it okay if I start to think of myself as a person who um, used to be a sneezer, but is no longer a sneezer until my next sneeze? You know, right, so like right, right now, right. Yeah. I used to be a sneezer, and it was a real problem. Mm -hmm. I sneezed, I mean, up to four times a day sometimes, but now... Mm -hmm. Finally, at last, I have achieved nirvana and I am no longer a sneezer. And then the next time I sneeze, I'll be like, damn. <laughs> no, I'm only a sneezer during the moments I'm sneezing. In the spaces between, <laughs> I never sneeze. <laughs> right. Like the, the sentence, I never sneeze was <laughs> more. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't literal. It was more of like, I'm not the kind, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the sneezing type. It's not. Occasionally, we all slip up, you know. But like, I'm not. I'm not. The... Every time, next time I like, I'm in a room with somebody who sneezes. I'm gonna be like, you know, it's not normal to sneeze. I never sneeze. <laughs> you know, How do you, you know, only a... like only like five percent of people sneeze. They're just really loud about it. Oh God! How do you look at a doctor? In the eyes, when they say the words to you, I never sneeze and not just burst out laughing. I mean, what? I never, I mean, I rarely sneeze or like, you know, I'm concerned that your sneezing may not be normal or that your sneezing may be a sign of an underlying condition. Yes. But like, wh why are you getting involved at all? Like, I, I, I'm the patient here. Like, I don't need to know your sneezing <laughs> yeah, history. Like, yeah, I, you know, your weird broken up, your broken face nerves. If you, if you want to come to me as an allergist, I will be happy to analyze your purported never sneezing. I, I, okay. So here's my first, here's, I need to, cut. have you ever wanted to refer your doctor to another doctor? <laughs> you're talking to your doctor and you're like, you're actually, like, hey, can I write you a referral? To a to a neurologist. Yeah, I know. You, I notice you're in a room full of allergists. I wonder if you could talk to one of them about the fact that you've apparently never sneezed. I it's not normal to sneeze. My initial impulse when somebody tells me they've never sneezed is, of course, to like try to make them sneeze. You know. <laughs> and so I would. What, here's what I would. Here's my honest advice. Mm -hmm. I would request a follow up appointment. And I would say, listen, I know it's been six years since I saw you, yeah. but I can't stop thinking about this. <laughs> I have a memory of you saying, sneezing is never normal. I have no. never sneezed. Tell me. Did you, did you, did you say, say that? that? Did you say that? And if you didn't say that, I can walk out of here a happy person and you can get your fee for right. our 20-minute visit. Yeah. And it's only going to cost you five seconds. But if you did. If you did. If you did wait, say it. I, I I require this entire 20 minutes and I have brought pepper. <laughs> uh, we're not going to go outside and we're going to look at the sky. Because <laughs> that's what does it for Hank. I, I have 20 minutes to make you sneeze. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything under my power to do it. No, and what you, what you need to do is 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 follow them around anytime they are in public, and oh. when they finally sneeze, you go ah ha! 
<laughs> I gotcha! You, yeah, you jump out of the bushes like a private investigator, and you're like, seven years ago, oh you God. told me that you never sneeze, and I've been following you ever since, ever and since. you just sneezed. <laughs> I will take my apology in written form. Thank you. My God. Okay, John. Thank you for taking the time to chat. Yeah. And I like making podcasts. Me too. Let's do it again next week. Oh, okay. And then the week after that, until we die. <laughs> this podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. The editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.